And I'm Jake. And uh, we have a problem. We do? What, did, what was the problem with our old place that we, that we uh, had for the studio? It was hot. No. No? It was, it was cold. Because <laughs> it was winter. Yeah, and now what is our problem? And now it's hot. Because? Well, our air conditioner is uh, less than ideal. And our landlord is a total douche about it. Yeah. He's like, oh, yeah. He's like, when we moved in, he's like, hey, guys. I'm like, hey, does the air conditioner come with it? Because I didn't want to buy an air conditioner. Right. Yes, the air conditioner comes with the place. So we come in. We're working. All of a sudden, it starts to get hot. It's July. Mm-hmm. The air conditioner quits working at about 2 p.m., which it currently is 2 p.m. Right. So I email him, and what does he say? He basically said, uh, Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize you were going to rip into him right now. But I yeah, know, but it, it, it just occurred good. to me. He's basically just like, You need to fix it yourself, which, okay. In the least, yes, he's right. It but, is in the least. But it's not my air conditioner. So I said, right. Hey, if I buy a new air conditioner mm-hmm. and throw this one out the fifth story window, mm-hmm. do I get to keep the air conditioner that I purchased to put in here? The answer is no. Right. Whatever I put in here stays here. And if I fix it and spend a bunch of money on it, it's mm-hmm. still not my air conditioner. So I'm like super upset and really angry are. about this. Are you, are you heated? Chris? I am heated about this. <laughs> um, and it makes me, it makes me kind of upset. I know that. Well, you know, that pun about being heated because it's warm in here, that is the first of many with my story I have to tell you. So, so I have just something wait. Before you start, and, okay. uh, and why don't we tease that we're going to have a great history story from Jake today. We are. Um, but before we do that, I actually want to ask you a couple of questions. Okay. Um, so here's the deal. So I met you through Euroworks, right? Yeah. Yep. So, but we were probably, I would say at most, vague acquaintances. Right. We hung out a little bit at the Cannonball Rally. We had dinner. Mm-hmm. And then you helped me out with some Euroworks stuff. And then you came and did episode one of the podcast. Right. And I realized driving here today that I still know virtually nothing about you <laughs> that's the way i want it <laughs> <laughs> so i just i wanted to maybe help our listeners out a little bit and get a little bit of oh, history geez. of jake just uh just maybe oh you <laughs> are you blushing right now are i you, think i am um so i i really i, I find it important to because people know a lot about me because i've been out there for so long sure but we don't know that much about jake so I kind of want to know where you came from a little bit. I'm a mystery wrapped in an enigma. Yes, you certainly are. Yeah, no, I don't know. Grew up uh, right here in the Twin Cities, originally from Hudson, right over the border in Wisconsin. Um, Got into cars from a young age. My dad always had like hot rods he was building in the garage. I remember helping him with a 52 Ford pickup that we did a a Chevy V8 swap into because everyone does that. What's your first memory? What's your first, like when you look back and you think of like cars and being with your dad in the garage? I have a very specific memory. It's not in the garage, but I had, ironically, I wasn't even into Porsches for a long time. But I, my first memory is we moved when I was two, and somehow I have a distinct memory. The only memory, it's like my earliest memory period, is playing on the wood floors in the old house before we moved right. with a 911 match, matchbox car. And I know it's this one because I still had it throughout my childhood, and it's black. Do you still have turbo it? Turbo with like yellow stripes somewhere. You should find that. Somewhere I You should bring it. it in here, put it right next to the... There you go. Right here. That would be that would be really cool. So you worked a lot with your dad in the garage. That's kind of yep. where it came from, right? Right. Yeah. And grew up, you know, with like dirt bikes and go-karts and mini bikes and that sort of stuff. So I was always kind of wrenching with him. And uh, first car he bought me, I was 14 or 15 before I even got my driver's license. It was a 1970 Dodge Dart with okay. the inline six. And it was funny because he drove out to like Omaha to get it because it was supposed to be like a super rust-free clean car. And he gets there and the guy walks out of a body shop 
in overalls covered head to toe in bondo dust okay and you look at the car and it's like brand new paint you can smell the paint still and you go underneath and it's just full of bondo oh no and he ended up getting a like a decent enough price because he you know the guy was obviously not being honest about it right and then i think we ended up i don't know why i sold that right away after i like polished the paint that was brand new right and then never got to drive it and then had a mustang through high school which don't ever buy your high school kid a mustang okay why is that because i lost my license six months after i got it okay what mustang was this this was an s it was a 95 so sn 95 mustang was a v6 it was a v6 yeah with the manual trans i know but i I remember driving around like Back when those cars were new, and you could look and you could look at the rear apron, and there was like single right. sauce or dual exhaust. You'd right, be, you'd be like that guy's cool. That guy's a loser. So I had duels on it. <laughs> oh, you did. Full so you're fooling everybody. Full length duels, uh, no cats. It was. I think it was like senior year in high school. I went out and spent a bunch of money on this exhaust, like Magnaflow, everything, and it actually sounded like I fooled a lot of people. It sounded really good until for you six. <laughs> until you put the pedal yeah, down. Exactly. Then you and they're anybody. like, "Where'd he go? What happened?" <laughs> So when you were talking about like dirt bikes and go-karts and stuff yeah. like that, was there, did you have any like accidents or bad experiences with any of that kind of stuff? I was lucky. I don't know if I ever did. I didn't break anything. I, I've only broken my nose, which is another really funny story. And then I broke my sternum bone when I was wrestling ah, in high school. Okay. Which is weird. I used to wrestle too. Yeah. Yeah. Should, should we, should we take a break and go wrestle? I don't know. I went to state. I'm not sure you want to. <laughs> I didn't. No. Um, yeah. Then, uh, I guess growing up, I got into Volkswagens. I had a Mark well, how did, they, how did you translate from that? Obviously your, your family was kind of like hot rod, you know, yeah. with the 52 pickup and then right. the dart and stuff like that. All of a sudden, Volkswagen. Like, how does that happen? Because all my friends in high school had, like, Audis and Volkswagens, and somehow that, like, oh, this is different. This is cool, right? So it was kind of like a peer thing. It was yeah. other guys Yeah, had it them. definitely was. Okay. Yeah. Was your dad disappointed? No, not at all. I don't think he really... I, I think he thought it was cool because it was in college when I bet, bought the R32. Okay. So he's kind of like, oh, that's cool, you know, that you're at least still interested in it and that sort of stuff and not off doing drugs, I'm sure it was probably his, <laughs> his general <laughs> appreciation well, is for Hudson, it. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, so went out to California and bought the R32 site on scene. And my dad and I drove back across country in that. And that was kind of my first, well, not really first road trip. I did road trip as a a kid with right. the family but that was cool and then how from, did you get so you said last week that you're uh ASE certified yeah so how wh- why um so i i've been working for my day job at a company for i think like eight years now yeah and they deliver testing certifications so through it i get well first of all like marketing testing certifications i kind of have ingrained in me subconsciously that you should get certified and everything okay right right and are so you podcast I, certified no i'm not that doesn't exist okay but so oh, i like there's a room that's a, that's a market right there oh, boom let's Gotta certify people for a podcast <laughs> so i have a, i actually have a lot of really weird certifications so i am vmware data virtualization certified because i sold or marketed their product for a while it's a big data center techie thing okay um i'm also a certified seahorse keeper <laughs> what we went to hawaii years ago and we do went you have to, a seahorse at home we did and then they died so your I'm certification terrible. doesn't certification really matter terrible yeah long story short we went out to hawaii there's uh the only um like captive raised seahorses otherwise they're all just like gathered from the ocean and then die yeah. as soon as you put them in a tank yeah and nikki like fell in love with this idea and it turns out they're the hardest sea creature to keep domestically okay. like period 
And so they, you have to be certified through this little online course before you can buy them. And so I did that, and that was cool. Also, and then you killed it anyway. <laughs> yeah, also certified bartender from Minnesota School of Bartending because my brother-in-law operated a restaurant. And he's like, I'll pay for this if you do it, and you can come fill in. I haven't ever filled in, but I'm a bartender. Okay. Um, also, I like always thought of myself as like pretty handy with a wrench, working on cars and everything else. Are you certified in any of that? Well, I was like, you know, I wonder if I can actually call myself a mechanic. So I looked into it, and ASC certification for G1 General Maintenance and Light Repair was, like, dirt cheap. And I went to an actual testing center and studied and did it, and now I'm ASC certified mechanic. Do you think any, anybody that – do you think I could pass the test? Yes, you could. Okay. Is, uh, can, there's a couple things that are just, like, tricky, weird knowledge. Okay. But other than that, like, I took a couple practice tests. The first one Can I you just failed, go take the test? Yeah. Oh, maybe I should go do that. Yeah, just it's kind of cool. Maybe I can get certified in something. Right. I'm not certified in anything. Yeah, I also have some weird certification for logistics and something else. So, yeah. That's... But I'm, I'm most impressed by the, uh, by the seahorse one. Right, well, as anyway, you should be. I just wanted to just give the listeners a little bit of a history, history about of Jake. Jake. Um, we'll be right back with, uh, with uh, the core part of the episode. We'll be right back. All right, guys, we are back, and we have a history segment for you. This is we did uh, we did a three part series with the, the Dale, Dale car. car. This is just a one part series. Correct. Uh, he wanted us. Jake wanted to stretch it out into three, but decided to kind of pare it I down. I thought into maybe one. two, but I pared it down. So All right, let's here have we are. It. July nineteenth, nineteen oh eight. Okay. Hans Triple was born in Darmstadt. Okay, Germany. Troy McClure guy. <laughs> take it down and no notch. i'm this is i'm presenting this the big deal chris okay all right so hans triple was born in darmstadt germany all my history stories aren't going to be from germany but i started digging and this is where it led me okay sounds good so he was the son of a department store owner and as was custom of the time he was expected to take over the family business right yeah well hans had hans had different plans in 1932, 1932, so he's 24, 26, he convinced his father to borrow him a loan of 500 Deutschmark, which I assume in 1908 is That's a significant a pretty, sum. pretty decent amount yeah. to lend your kid. But you also own a department store in Germany, so you're not doing terrible either. Right. So the first thing he did was to buy an old... I don't old think the German economy was very good in the 30s. No? I really not. Well, good point, because yeah. that's what led to a lot of other bad things. Yes. Okay. Well, never mind. Anyways... First thing he did with this loan was go out and buy an old DKW car. What's a DKW car? Sidebar. I had no idea what a DKW was either. It's a very old German car manufacturer. Uh, it's so old that it's evidenced by the name. DKW is Dampfkraftwagen, which translates to steam-powered car. Okay. All right. So it's one of the actual ancestor companies of the modern-day Audi company. Audi was made up. Auto Union Deutsche International is made up of four different German car companies. Right. Yep. Hence the four rings. That's right. That uh, I knew. Get it? So Hans also rented out an old horse stable for 15 bucks a month, or supposed to be 15 marks a month, to serve as his workshop. The 26 year old then so set think to of it work. this way. So it's 15, 15 Deutschmarks a month, right? Yep. So that's. Oh, yeah. Good point to figure out how much money it was. That was like five, ye- almost four years worth of rent right. that he borrowed from his dad. Yeah, so that's you know that's significant. That's a significant amount of money. Yeah, it is. Anyway, so he's got his horse stable, he's got his old car, and he's set to work. He crafted an entire new body for the car out of aluminum. 
Okay, out of the the steam car that he had. Well, it wasn't a steam car, but that's what the name of the company was because okay. it's such an old company. But it, they made DKWs up until like the '60s until they became Audi. Right. So this was, I assume, it was called an old car back in '32. So I'm sure it was like a 1915 something. So in the midst of this, he even had a small racing career as he's building this car. And he took a bunch of like small first place in a bunch of races. And his career didn't really amount to much. But the cash prizes, it was wrote, actually brought in and helped support the business. So he could keep doing this. Pay his dad back. Yeah. Well, you see, Hans... He didn't just want to be another coach builder building these aluminum-bodied cars. We've talked about that before. That was a thing. Do we know if he, there's any, like, education history with this guy? Did he go to school? Did he... I don't think so. He's just... That, I he's think just, he just went for it. Okay. So... We know somebody like that. Yes, we do. Christopher Very Rungi. Very similar. Christopher Rungi re- reminds yeah, me of this another guy. coach builder, aluminum, yep. etc. Uh, but his vision, Hans, went a little bit further. He wanted his car to swim. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hans Christen the concept, the land water zep, and most people thought he was an idiot. For a long time, it looked like these doubters were right. On December 15th, 1934, so a couple years later, Tipple's first test car sank during a test drive. Surprise. Test swim, I guess it'd be, on the Rhine Rhine River in Germany. And this was more than just like... Why would you go on a river? I don't know. I mean, come on, man. You're just... Well, did listen, he tie like a rope to a tree and like I don't know. Listen to this. It was more than just like a a failure or an uncomfortably wet affair because he barely made it out with his life. He fought to swim to shore in the freezing cold. Remember, this is December in Germany. So the guys not the brightest bulb. Not the brightest, you'll find out. Okay. So on the very same night though, he came back and towed the vehicle 25 feet up from the bottom of the river. And only three days later, both him and the car were ready to go out on the river again. So he went for it again. He went for it again. And apparently successfully, because I didn't hear about another failure attempt. Okay. So, in fact, Triple's land water zap soon became soon began making waves in the capital city of Berlin. Okay. Do you see what I did there? I do, I do. I see what you did there. So on October in October of thirty six. Hans was invited to present the vehicle to the Minister of War at the Reich Chancellery. Here's the thing. What? All these old cars were total pieces of shit. You had to do very little to get people's attention. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, if you you built something and it moved by itself, everyone's like, whoa, shit, that thing moved like seven (laughs) feet, and he didn't have to do anything. Just any, any, like... Uh, self-operating anything at the time was just blown people's minds. <laughs> Get burned at the stake. It's this witchcraft. It's amazing. So he builds this car that sinks once, and he's already going to like the military. Yes. Right. So he's invited to the Ministry of War at the Reich Chancellery, and this is thirty-six. So you, you can picture the Nazi Party. Yeah, is coming into power. So apparently Hitler himself even quote reluctantly and grumpily rode in the car a few times <laughs> on the water <laughs> yes. too bad he didn't fucking drown yeah, yeah. so uh yeah uh mr adolf you uh <laughs> you, you would like to car? ride in the car <laughs> no nine nine <laughs> reluctantly and grumpily uh-huh. so somehow triple received a development grant of ten thousand reichsmark holy not Deutschmark shit anymore. a lot of money ten thousand reichsmarks from the nazi party and with this Nazi funding, Triple developed his vehicle into, quote, combine the characteristics of an all-terrain sports car with those of a speedboat. 
Wow. Yeah, okay. It's just, why do people build stuff with cotton? <laughs> so why... This is the 30s. You could yes. do almost anything, right. build anything, because everything is new. Why are you building a car boat? I don't know. <laughs> well, I love the description, because what the hell is an all-terrain sports car, first of all? And then you combine it with a speedboat. Well, look at it this way. Most of the roads were probably all-terrain back then. True. Yeah. Other than the Autobahn. You know I mean? It was, it was everything point. else. Was Actually, probably- Autobahn came after... Nazi yeah, that's occupation. A, well, it, in yeah, in it's the kind of, of in the midst of. Well, so around that time, as war officially broke out in Europe, Triple was granted a membership of the quasi-military SA. So sidebar number two. Do you know what the SA is? Uh, gas station down the street. <laughs> no, no. These were these were part of the Nazi Party, and you know, just just stand up stand up guys. Chris. Yeah. Was uh, it SS but SA? Well, Sturm Sturm. Tilung, literally the storm detachment, was the Nazi party's paramilitary. It played a significant role in the rise of Hitler, and its primary purpose were to disrupt the meetings of opposing parties, fighting against the opposing parties themselves, and intimidating Slavs, Romanians, trade unionists, and especially so the, the Jews. Basically the Broncos. Is that kind of like the evolution I of them? I think so. Yeah. So, yeah, nice group of guys here okay. that he's uh, part of. So as the war continued, the Nazis wanted... Oh, so this guy joined this group. Oh, yeah. No, okay. he's indoctrinated into the SA. Can you imagine this badass Nazi-looking dude driving around a stupid car boat? <laughs> <laughs> he's like, oh, yeah, and he's driving around the dump. So do you remember the picture I sent you last night? Barely. The one that looked like a peanut yes. attached to a Model yes. A. Yes, that I think was the original concept. Okay. So um, that's I sent you a picture for later. That's not the one to look oh, at. Oh, I can't look Don't at Don't look yet. at that yet. All right. Okay. So he's part of this uh, terrible group of Nazis and wars continuing. And the Nazis wanted an expansion of the Schwimmwagen production. Now, the triple vehicle is not to be confused with the Schwimmwagen. Are you not familiar with the Schwimmwagen? <laughs> Come on. So Volkswagen, it was actually the Volkswagen Schwimmwagen, which was like the Nazi German army amphibious vehicle okay it's actually like decently well known okay that's not this one this one's like the shittier version of that that came before it okay the volkswagen schwimmwagen started production in 42 this is like 1940 or something all right so not to be produced but regardless the nazis wanted him to expand production quote the bank of german aviation bought triple the bugatti factory in france where on 15th of july 1941 uh triple work gmbh was founded whoa, whoa I'm, I'm i'm lost here so this guy i know works, i wanted to i want so so the guy buys the or gets joins the sa gets a ten thousand dollar loan and then buys bugatti nope hold on so after he's part of the nazi party nazi okay. invades france yeah nazi invades france Germany. Okay. Nazi Germany invades France. <laughs> okay. Right. Yes. And the German Bank of Germany, German Aviation basically, quote, give him the Bugatti facility after they've taken over the country of France. Okay. And said, here, make your Schwimmwagens here. Make what, your what are they thinking they're going to do with the Schwimmwagen? <laughs> <laughs> what? I, I'm just imagining like like four dudes piled in. The thing can't be that big, so it's like four dudes, <laughs> four people, I'm pretty with sure. like MP40 submachine guns <laughs> yeah. driving around in a, in a little Schwimmwagen thing. Yeah, like what are they Hans, supposed to do? Like run in, hit fast, hit hard, and then leave? Was that the- Hans is determined to make the Schwimmwagen work? So, but my my question here was the way they w- rewarded this. Like, okay, so you invade a country, take over all the factories and everything, and then quote buy the factory to give to hans here okay you're not buying it you just invaded it yeah you just took it 
So there were also some details in this article. So most of this information was all in German because there isn't a lot known about this guy except in Germany. And it was really hard to translate. I couldn't really figure it out. But there was some other detail where basically Bugatti stripped out the factory. So although he had a factory, they had to wait and ship all of his like tooling in. So the, the French stripped the Bugatti factory. Well, that's, that's my understanding. what they did with the Citroen stuff, too. They, yeah. they basically stripped it and they hid the prototypes of the cars, like the Citroen. The, DS. the DS is the one that with the eggs that won't break. You carry around eggs in it, right? That's, yeah. that's supposed to be yeah, the, the hydro pneumatic. Yeah, the uh, hydro pneumatic. They actually hid prototypes of that car around France. Oh wow! And like they hid like body parts and machining and tools. They they hit the car body yeah, parts. Car, yeah, <laughs> well, <laughs> it could go either way. It um, could. Yeah. So that's- so yeah. So Hans here, he has the Bugatti factory. He has three thousand workers producing six vehicles a day, which apparently wasn't very productive. Six vehicles a day. <laughs> 3,000 workers? Well, they're also producing these alongside tons of air torpedoes for seaplanes. Is this going to be Elon Musk? Is that going to be the big reveal? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, he's not very efficient from what I can tell. Um, We're going to fast forward now because that's the war. He's producing these things. There weren't many made. Um, But following Germany. How many did they make? Do you know? I deleted it because it was getting way too in the weeds for trying to shorten this thing up. Okay. It. What I can remember though is they never actually served in like battle. These things. Of course were, not. No, so they were basically just like publicity things, and the SS would well, ride around in them. That's the thing. Remember when we talked about um, some of the cars that uh, Porsche had built and been yeah. involved with? It was massive propaganda. Exactly. So I mean, it's like everything you could do to show German dominance, ingenuity, uh, engineering. It was right. it was all about that, and that's what made it such a powerful machine because the entire country was willing to push behind this movement despite right. what was going on because the propaganda was so overwhelming. It's hard to imagine knowing what actually did go on, but you're right. It obviously had to have been effective. I mean, you just. You, I, it's tr- I have trouble blaming um, a, a lot of the German people because the, the majority of the people are easily victims of propaganda. They aren't all like grumpy. Like no, not every person in Germany at the time was evil. But complacency you, you would, is it, it, complacency is evil. I think there's probably some fear, and I think there's probably a little bit of uh, obviously sweeping it under the rug. Everything that was going on there, but the propaganda was so overwhelming that right. you know you. If, even if you thought something was wrong, you couldn't say anything because your neighbor was so... Oh, yeah. Just, it's just when fear-mongering. I say, yeah, when I say neighbor, I just mean like fellow German citizen. Right. The, the, the concept of what was supposed to be the ideal German citizen, you had to live up to that or otherwise you wouldn't be part of the society. And if you were going to start to question things then you know you weren't part of that image and you weren't following the propaganda and then you were worried about society looking down on you and blah, 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 blah. So, I mean, that's... Am I, I'm this, I'm you, a, no, you just kind of took my fun story down a lot. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, it's important well, to note, though. Let me, like, let me bring it up and say the Nazis lost the war. Yes, they did. That's exactly <laughs> what I was going to go for. So luckily, the terrible Nazis lost the war in 1945, and Hans Trippel was actually found guilty as a war profiteer by the French authorities. Okay, because of the like, Bugatti factory yeah, thing. because they're like, wait... Okay, you weren't like killing people as a Nazi, even though you were in the Nazi party, but you I wonder if it came out in court. Yes, sir. We found that you were profiteering. We found that you were working for the Nazis making this stupid little car. <laughs> yes. This car obviously couldn't kill anybody. <laughs> but you're still an <laughs> asshole. So he was served three years in a French prison and was also strictly forbidden from developing or producing any off-road and buoyant special vehicles. <laughs> 
<laughs> I wonder if they had to write up a statute just for this. I'm sure they did. My my question though, what is three years in a French prison like? I I have no we, idea. We would like to have a smoke and then you take a nap and it is all good. I wonder yet. if it's pretty easy to escape. Yeah, we just you know the guards they take to like lost affair. They take take a break. It's probably pretty easy to escape. <laughs> right. So, anyways, three years later, after his release, he's penniless. He's completely out of money, and his factory's gone, and he first kind of found shelter back in Hanover, Germany. There, the restless engineer spent his time designing and building novel prosthesis for the disabled. N- what does novel mean? I don't know. I can only imagine like what an the umbrella? guy that made... Like, <laughs> like <laughs> exactly. an umbrella attached to his arm, or like a, like a drill? Like he's trying to make superheroes, know, like cyborgs or the something? The guy that needs to make a car, also a boat, you realize has to make the prosthetic arm also the umbrella. <laughs> I'm, I'm imagining it having like everything from like egg beater attachments, where he's like... <laughs> And he like, <laughs> he's go, he's Mr. Gadget or go, yeah, go gadget Inspector or whatever. Gadget. Inspector Gadget. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, that's what he's doing. I guess maybe he felt bad. after. Imagine, <laughs> what? Imagine what you could do for your wife with an enhanced <laughs> prosthetic. <laughs> uh huh. Okay. Uh huh. Okay. Uh, is there any examples of what this guy no, made for? That was the only mention I heard of this at all. Okay. And my, my mind kind of went to, oh, maybe he's feeling remorse after d- being with the Nazis oh, so he's and all trying that. To fix so maybe people's arms that were exactly. Blown out. Okay. Maybe. But yeah, they, the fact that they put novel in there, <laughs> I don't know <laughs> what that means. <laughs> so as he's making novel prosthesis in Hanover, in the spring of 1949, he met with the cigarette paper manufacturer Fritz Keen. Fritz Keen. Okay. Fritz Keen. The men actually knew each other well from imprisonment with the French, French occupying power. Was he profiteering from cigarettes? <laughs> yeah, I assume so. So he was also a French prisoner with him. So Keen invited the former cellmate. It said cellmate. Okay. I think that's just like a artistic liberty. I doubt they were actually cellmates. Um, but anyways, he invited over to his country estate because he's a big cigarette paper manufacturer. Yeah, I which guess. Which apparently what? is lucrative. Well, smoking was quite the thing, right? Right. So Hans then promptly fell in love with Keen's daughter. Uh-oh. Yep. So. What's the, I mean, the age difference must be. I don't know. Probably uh, not great. Yeah, not good. So Fritz Keen's daughter, Gretel. Wait, this guy was born in 1908, right? right. So let's say this, what is this, in the 50s? This is 49. Okay, so I mean, he's 41 years old. Right, and Gretel's probably like like 20. 20. Yeah, (laughs) Gretel? What a terrible name. Gretel and Come here, Gretel, let me try this prosthetic novelty (laughs) on you. (laughs) That's why she (laughs) fell for him. So Hans and Gretel quickly married and moved to Stuttgart, where Triple wanted to return to his old passion, the construction of automobiles. It wasn't his new passion? (laughs) That are also boats. Oh my god, this guy just won't let it go. <laughs> Which, keep in mind, is now illegal from the French... Uh, well, you can't sell them in France, right? Yeah. So Triple also persuaded three of his old designers to relocate to Stuttgart and immediately set to work building and testing new amphibious designs. God dang it, this is so stupid. <laughs> the first test car was powered by a DKW motorcycle engine. This okay. is the company's first car was, remember? Yeah. Which Triple found in a junkyard. <laughs> <laughs> when is Liz Carmichael going to come into play here? <laughs> So many similarities. So this first test car had no doors and had a pronounced streamlined body with tail fins. Pronounced? Pronounced. Okay. So as you can guess, a floating motorcycle that looked like a whale's ass didn't exactly take (laughs) off. (laughs) I suppose not. Uh, Then in early 1950, Triple put another test car on the water, the Type SK-10. 
<laughs> Are there any of these prototypes left? <laughs> There's like one or, or two they of all the sink? later ones. Okay. So in the meantime, when he's like building all these Do new we know, hair brains. Is there like any kind of anything that's just like this dude says, I am building these because. <laughs> I don't know. I kept trying to figure out, like, did he have some accident in the bathtub as a child that he keeps regressing to where he needs to always be floating? <laughs> I don't <know>. like, <laughs> Maybe he was awake in the womb too much. I have no idea. I have no idea. Why would? Why does He's anybody obsessed. want to do this? He's obsessed. I, I mean, don't they don't know. The only good thing that's ever been done with amphibious cars <laughs> was on Top Gear when they built amphibious <laughs> yeah, cars right. and they all sank. And the only thing it was good is because it was so humorous because it was terrible because it's fucking dumb. I don't right. understand. It, it, <sighs> so I know. So Hans is trying to get back in the game, though, right? Okay. In the meantime, Triple's well, father-in-law. He's got to somehow fund his his uh, young lady. You know right where we're going. So in the meantime, Triple's father-in-law, Keen, who member was the wealthy cigarette paper yep. manufacturer, yep. he bought up a new major manufacturer of circle in- surgical instruments, so like scalpels and stuff, I imagine. And he made his son-in-law the second director, which I'm picturing went something like, hey, Hans, I bought you a company. Why don't you stop toying around with these silly boat cars? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Right? Except now he's building boat cars with medical equipment instead of regular tools. So Hans decided to build the cars in the halls of the new manufacturer <laughs> instead of continuing with surgical equipment development. So, so he just shut down the he factory. He shut down the factory that his father-in-law gave him to like do something normal and decided to build boat cars. You know, what is the definition of insanity? Yes. So even before the start of serial production, he self-confidently printed out brochures and distributed them. The small car with big power. <laughs> when it's the stupid motorcycle engine. Yeah, good. Yes. Okay, guy. So, Hans, yeah, bought you a company to manage. Now you turn it into your silly floating boats, and uh, <laughs> this is not good. So I wonder how many people got injured uh, driving these cars around, and maybe it was like this. Well, hey, don't worry. People are going to get injured in this thing. They'll be able to buy your medical equipment to fix themselves <laughs> up. Like the, you know? Yeah, they're hedging their bet there. Yeah. No, none of these made it to uh, like mass production. Uh, the triple SK-10, as I mentioned before, uh, first debuted in 1950 at the Export Fair in Hanover. Okay. And then traveled to many other international motor shows. So he's like traveling the world with this thing, and he's excited about it, and the vehicle was met with great interest. And its most notable Only feature, because it's fucking stupid. Its most, its most notable feature, besides obviously being a floating car, was its patented upward swinging doors. Oh, okay. The feature was so popular. This way or this way? The f- uh, I, I'm not <laughs> throwing things. Because we're both, <laughs> we're we're both, both flapping like, our yeah. wings. <laughs> Is it like this or so like this? I, I don't even need to tell you. Because the feature was so popular that Mercedes-Benz decided to buy the patent and featured ah, okay. it on the legendary Gullwing 300 SL. So the guy finally sold something. So you have Hans to thank for the Gullwing doors, the Mercedes. And all the Gullwings on the Hondas, too. <laughs> right. Well, those are Lambo doors, right? You've been seeing, you've been seeing I, yeah, Gullwings? Yeah, yeah, it exists. Right. Oh, Tesla. There you go. <laughs> fuck, fuck this Hans guy. So while the public were anxiously awaiting production of Hans's new vehicle, the waters were more tumultuous at home. Uh-oh. The waters? Do you see what I did there? I see. Yeah, Was he yeah. able to float? Well, Hans and his wife had been fighting and finally divorced. And as the marriage dissolved, so did his relationship with his father-in-law. So Hans was kicked out of the director position at this company, and then they went back to making surgical equipment I'm instead sure of the did. cars. So the triple S. All this is in a period of what time? 
Uh, only a few years. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> it was a roller coaster for Hans. It was a roller coaster for Hans and yeah. probably not great for his wife or father-in-law. No. So the triple SK 10 was done for. That's okay. it. Toast. Closed doors. However, Hans wasn't one to give up on his crazy no, dream. No, he clearly isn't. He actually had contacts in France and an interested group wanted to equip the previous SK 10 design with a bigger engine. That's always a good thing. But then the car was considered too heavy and probably couldn't float, so they had Hans to <laughs> replace the sheet metal with a novel new fiberglass body design. Oh, yeah, there we go. However, shady business practices by these French guys led to the scrapping of the entire project. <laughs> okay. But I, you almost feel bad for the guy a little bit. Kind of, but I think he's an idiot. Yeah, well, that's clear, but you can still feel bad for him. But as it turned out, Hans was onto something with the fiberglass sports car body. Okay. Okay, so enter Fritz and Reinhold Wieder. Farm equipment manufacturers. Okay. So seemingly being bored making tractors, they wanted to design a sports car. Does this sound familiar? A la Lamborghini? That's how Lamborghini started. And, well, Porsche made tractors, too. Yeah, you're right. So That's not where it started. No, it's not. They hired Hans to design a car dubbed the Wiedner Condor. Okay. All right. Yeah, go ahead. It, it debuted at the 1957 Geneva Auto Show and looked exactly like the Porsche 356. Uh-huh. Like, Exactly. Yeah. Open your thing. Open my thing. Okay. Let's see what we got here. Yeah. That <laughs> <laughs> Looks like a Carmen Ghia got merged with a 356. Yeah. So he basically just stole like the Porsche Volkswagen design, made it out of fiberglass. It had a three-cylinder, two-stroke, water-cooled engine. And the public admired the streamlined design and technical conception. Did it float? But it did not. So this <laughs> is just straight because he's not building it. He was just hired Assisting. to do the design. Yeah, right. yeah. So um, people liked it. So why would you hire this guy to do design? What what in his it, it was past the fiberglass body? Yeah, I that guess he developed. People right. were like, "That's cool. Who did that? This Hans guy. I don't know anything else about his weird <laughs> past, but hey, help us with this fiberglass body. Right. That's all it was. Okay. So people liked it. It was streamlined. It looked great because it looks like a 356. The problem was the selling price was astronomical compared to a Carmen Ghia. And they only made 20 cars of those. Okay. So and there's still all a couple of them around. 20? How do you only make 20 cars? I don't like, know. It's a different time. There's less, like, upfront investment needed. So you're just like, let's, let's go make them. Let's, yeah, let's cast them in the sandcast I made in my bathroom. Right, basically. So next up for Han's failing career were the Scandinavians. This guy's perseverance is incredible. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> do you think he was depressed? I don't know. I, I, why, he, what, what, I don't Why know. do you think he got divorced? What do you think it was? I think I he... Think, well, that was, remember, the time when he was traveling the world with his concept car. Oh, so... And he, also decided to take his father-in-law's business and completely change it into a car boat manufacturer. Yeah, but so, but his young wife is maybe... I think... Mm, I bet this guy was depressed. I'm sure he yeah. was. But he is very... Um, he's got stick to Yeah, yeah. He's got moxie. Mm-hmm. So... A Norwegian company wanted to bring a small car to market, and we're attracted to Hans' fiberglass designs that he's been doing now. So they bought the rights to his design, and the Troll. The Troll. Norwegian company came out with a car named the Troll. Okay, that sounds like the perfect car for me. It's a (laughs) 2 plus 2 sports car with the aforementioned fiberglass body, and production started on it. It was the first and only Norwegian-built car manufacturer, and the company had to work hard to get a permit from the government to sell the car in the country. Okay. As it turns out, you're going to love this, they were only allowed to sell 15 cars per year from the government. That's... (laughs) 
The government was afraid that domestic car production would disrupt the trade balance with other European companies. Oh, boy. How's that? that sounds familiar. <laughs> Hence, one of Norway's few ventures into car production went bankrupt only after five complete cars had been produced. Are there any of these left around? There's two. Okay. It looks very similar to that 356 also. (laughs) (laughs) I bet it did. This poor guy. Jesus, this guy can't catch a break. I know. But through all this, Hans never gave up on his original dream of mass producing an amphibious car. (laughs) He still needs his floating car, Chris. He needs his legacy. He needs his legacy. Yeah. And so as the early 60s rolled around, the market kind of shifted. The time for small cars, they were very, like, economy-minded in Germany. It, it came to an end because Germans were becoming more affluent as well as America. The time was ripe for a small recreational vehicle to be brought to market. Okay. So, Triple had never actually stopped designing amphibious cars, as you might imagine, in his garage and everywhere else. There was tons of random concepts and one-offs that I found in this period that they didn't pay much attention to sure. because he just kept building weird boat cars. So his latest design, though, actually garnered attention. And these designs delighted the U.S. and German leisure companies. People had more money and could buy a car just for fun now. It didn't have to actually be a good car. It didn't have to be an appliance. Right. So Hans dreamed of building 20,000 of these (laughs) new cars for a year. Well, that's a leap. Going from the last venture he did was six cars. Here's the thing. He had a reason to believe what happened when the Quant family, who just recently acquired the BMW name, had invested $5 million in his vision. <laughs> Why? Because he's going to make a boat car, and it's the swinging 60s, Chris. This is, do the Germans really have something with boat cars? Why do people keep giving this guy money? <laughs> Isn't there other people out there that could use the money and build something great? This, I the, don't how know. do you, I mean, this is not the days of monster.com and LinkedIn where you can go look at his profile and be like, holy shit, this guy's been, <laughs> this guy's been thing. fucking up since 1939 in the Bugatti factory. This right. guy sucks. Yeah. There's no, I mean, the guy could lie about his resume, do whatever he well, wants, say, say I built these we, cars. I had this thing in Norway and I left because they, I just wanted to do something else. He could just totally lie. There's, how do right. you check his I reference? I mean, actually, if you look at his resume, it's pretty successful. Right. Like he built a lot of cars and then he also did stuff for the Norwegians and for the French and everything. Wait, how did he do the French car when he wasn't allowed to build French cars anymore? I just realized Maybe it's because he was a subcontractor. That could be. Yeah. Or it wasn't, quote, amphibious so what did they use there was a term buoyant it wasn't buoyant. a buoyant vehicle <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so he has five million dollars at least they stuck it to him they're like how are we gonna get this guy what's really gonna hurt him they buoyant. knew no buoyant cars you know those three years in his jail cell he was just like talking about buoyant cars i'm imagining and- him like writing on the wall like plans for oh, buoyant yeah. cars it's like a big fuck you with a rock he's just got like a little floating thing with Filled with like his prosthetics. <laughs> just like. No, that was afterward. <laughs> so he's got five million dollars now. The market's ready for an amphibious car. His latest design is pretty good. And so Triple himself helped generate buzz for the car by hiring a stunt driver to cross the English Channel with it. Which I thought it was funny because did he learn his lesson from the German winter and not to attempt this one himself? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> what time of year is this? I don't know. I'm sure it wasn't also December. No, that would have been a bad choice. So the promotional channel crossing generated huge interest around the world and especially in the american market which eventually took about 80 to 90 percent of total production of this vehicle okay and they were made in germany and okay they were made in germany in the 60s a floating car 
These floating leisure convertibles were produced under the name the Amphicar. I hate this car. <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> Why do I hate this car? Because several years ago at the Euroworks show, someone brought the Amphicar and was an asshole. He was a total <clears throat> asshole. He wanted a refund because he didn't win. Yep. That's how car shows work, guys. <laughs> it was. I mean, you gotta you gotta realize where you are, right? You're at a European car show well, for modified cars. He pulls up in this Amphicar, and we we gave him good parking and everything. But this right? guy was just like, I want to refund this. That's why I was. That's why I started looking into the story. So I originally just wanted to find out about Amphicars, and yeah. then I found out about Hans, and yeah. I was like, All right, we're switching gears here to Hans. Hans is uh, Hans is a very impressive and studious and persevering individual. We should all be inspired by him. <laughs> that no matter how hard. You fuck up and how stupid your ideas yeah, are to never ever not, stop yeah except he was the nazis so yeah we'll just watch over that part yeah yeah okay yeah for this so 1960s advertisement reads amphicar the sports car that swims <laughs> i can't imagine that thing handling like any kind of sports car it was officially how called, much was it how much hold on it was originally officially called the amphicar 770 Derived from the fact they could achieve seven miles per hour in the water and 70 miles per hour on the road. Wow, I am blown away. The 43 horsepower four cylinder water cooled engine in the back comes from a British Triumph Herald. Like, what? Why? German car, <laughs> British engine, British Lucas Electronics, I'll have you know. It in the water. Terrible. <laughs> so that's right. It was a, quote, sports car that achieved a top speed of 70 miles per hour. That's and, barely enough to get your hair to move. Right. And they uh, they did do a 0 to 60 time for it. Any guesses? 0 to 60. And it's more about the distance than it is the time, I'm well, sure. Well, no, we got time here. We got time. Okay. Uh, 17 and a half seconds. 43 oh, seconds. Oh, 0 to 60 in 43 seconds. Do we know how much this thing weighed? No. Do we have any idea? No, I didn't go oh down that God. road. I can look it up real co- real quick, though. So you imagine this guy. That's <clears throat> um, not safe. Sorry. Hmm? But train of thought switch there. That's not safe, a car that's that slow. No. Even in the 60s, that's... It weighed 2,300 pounds. It wasn't super heavy. That's how much my car weighs. Yeah, that's not heavy at all. So Even with 43 horsepower, that's... That's absurd. That's really absurd. That's like engineering total failure right there. 43 horsepower in a 2,300-pound car should should get you to 60 in probably about 17 or 18 seconds. Right. Yeah. I'm not finding a price on it either. Um, That's all right. Don't worry about it. Okay. So, yeah, sports car. uh, It also costs. Oh, here it is. It costs as much as a brand-new Mustang. Okay. So that's ridiculous. Yep, it is. It's the perfect recipe for disaster. But the Amphicar did find a handful of buyers and enthusiasts, primarily in America. How many did they sell? We'll get there. Okay. For swimming, the 770 used a separate water transmission controlled by a simple transfer lever with forward and reverse positions. There's no rudder, as the front wheels just turn, and that's kind of how you steer it. Yeah, yeah, I figure that. (laughs) Inside is fairly conventional, except for waterproof upholstery. The two water transmission transfer levers and extra locks at the bottom of the door to help keep the vehicle watertight against the weather stripping. Here's the deal. If I went to buy one of these and the the salesman went, and the interior is waterproof, I'd be like, why? Why is the interior waterproof? Why does it have to be waterproof? Are we expecting water in the cabin? Why? No. Buyers could even opt to include a bespoke paddle and anchor designed specifically for the car. Just so you know, you're going to need this fucking paddle. Yes. (laughs) However, the manufacturing 
was very expensive and development costs of roughly $5 million ultimately doomed the company. Jeez. Every car had to pass a waterproof testing in a diving pool. According to who? Why? I don't know. That's just what it said. Okay. I don't know if Hans was like, we need to make sure this car is great, which it wasn't, but at least they can float. Or if it was like a government regulation thing. I, yeah, who knows? So from 1961, when it was introduced to the final year, 1967, only 3,800 Amphicars were produced. Okay. Which, I mean, it's better than his other car forays, but. Yeah, six or 3,800. A bit off from 20,000 a year. Okay, so at this time, he's in his 50s. Right. Late 50s. Yeah, and I mean that's kind of that was the end of his reign. He he, f- he felt like that he must have felt like he succeeded with that car then. I guess so. He, because there's nothing else that would have stopped him other than being dead. He died in 2001. Jesus. So he lived 1908 to 2001. He's 97. Yeah. Or six, whatever. And <laughs> I love how the Wikipedia page says uh died in 99. That's no. Died yeah, on the right. 30th of July in 2001, possibly in Berlin. We don't really know. It's just maybe he, possibly it doesn't show that he drowned. Doesn't, doesn't show that he drowned. <laughs> possibly in Berlin. Um, so some fun facts about the Amphicar. Some were used in the Berlin Police Department. <laughs> <laughs> not on the Autobahn, I imagine. I imagine not. And others were fitted for rescue operations. It's, okay, they're probably going to need rescuing you're, as, as at, you're, from the rescuers. As you're drowning, you see an Amphicar, and you're like, "Fuck nope, it, no, nope. I'm out," and just start. <laughs> and here's an interesting fun fact: uh, the boathouse at Disney Springs at Walt Disney World in Orlando, Florida, they still currently offer Amphicar rides and rentals for visiting patrons. And here's a little kind of interesting aside: seven degrees of separation story the operator of that that contracts the restorations of the vehicles because they only last about three years down in saltwater and yeah. then they have to restore the whole damn thing again he actually um then contracts a shop right here in the twin cities to do that okay where's that of a guy we know should a seventh gear fabrication kyle oh, okay he's the one that redoes these amphicars yep okay so and i he always has one on the rotisserie like he just pounds through them because by the time he restores one three years later one's coming out it needs to have the whole your, bottom cut out. I don't want to make fun of this guy, but that's got to be depressing. Well, he just started the company not too long ago, and he's like, I have no shortage of work. Well, that's good. <laughs> At least, I mean, he does other things. But anyways, um, today, however, the Amphicar has a rabid following and is more popular than ever. Yeah. Because it's unique and the singular obsession. It's for people that want to be different. By Hans, its creator. Hans. Nice, nice work, dude. That was that was interesting. Poor Hans. I'm glad. I'm glad he got his. I'm glad he got his due. But you're right. He must have just kind of. He felt vindicated then after he sold a bunch of these, and they were in a way a, a success because he didn't do anything else. Yeah. Well, good for him. All right, well, guys. We'll uh, we'll be back on Monday, and mm-hmm. uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode. If you like it, give us a five star review on iTunes. We'd really, really, really appreciate that. And if you have any other ideas for stories or anything like that, just zip us a message, and we'll look into it. Chris, they should uh, tell us what else floats their boat. <laughs> tell us what else floats your boat. On that note, see you later, guys.